Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Karen Weaver. Eric Barron's career has been built on innovation. From his time as Dean of the College of Earth and Mineral Sciences and a founding director of the Earth System Science Center at Penn State, to his presidencies at both Florida State University and Penn State University, he has focused broadly on how to do things better. At both Penn State and Florida State, he has dealt with high-profile Division I athletics programs. He is deeply aware of the challenges and opportunities inherent in today's athletics landscape, and he believes the expanded college football playoff to 12 teams offers the best chance going forward to provide more athletes the opportunity to compete and for the new revenues to be dedicated to athlete health and wellness, among many other pressing issues. Now a member of the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics, Barron's work once again puts him in a place where innovation and creativity are key. He joins me for a fascinating and honest conversation about big-time college sports today. We start with a discussion of his insightful op-ed for Sports Business Journal. Eric, good morning and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Very glad to have you here. You just wrote a very interesting and thorough op-ed uh, that appeared in the Sports Business Journal about the work that you're doing on the Knight Commission's uh, Board of um, Presidents, Faculty, uh, Influencers. And you talked a lot about the opportunities that are existing in the current structure of the college football playoff from four teams to 12 teams. Help my listeners understand what that dynamic is. So um, essentially, um, moving from four teams to 12 teams creates a tremendous boost in revenue. And of course, this is you know part, part of the reason why college football playoff works on topics like that. But it's also um, the case where it becomes a much more competitive environment for uh, college athletics, more akin to other, all the other sports to have uh, not just four teams. Four teams tends to have the same teams repeat so that 80% of it is four or five teams. And you start to divide into classes of, of, of levels. So this is a matter of providing more opportunity for for universities and, and for athletics, but it also generates an enormous amount of revenue. The expectation is more than a billion dollars more revenue going in to college football. Wow. So, um, and you mentioned in the in the, your piece that you, you, you knew it was difficult to ask people to give up money, to reallocate existing dollars from coaching staffs and luxury facilities, as you call them. Explain to my listeners how, how difficult that is. Well, I, you know, my experience in, with being president of two different universities is that uh, reallocation is, is difficult. You have to take it from someone and give it to someone else. And, you know, in many cases, uh, both of them have merit and you're just having to make a decision. So those decisions are always, always difficult. And you can watch presidents develop different budget models just to make it easier for them to move the money around. Mm -hmm. um, so because, because it's painful. So what you discover is if you have new money, this is your opportunity to do something different. 
because you're not taking it from someone else to you're you're not taking it from this this hand to give it to to someone else you have you know uh, an an opportunity so this is a golden opportunity maybe a once in in multiple decade opportunity to do something different in college sports one of the things you referred to was that you were part of the Big Ten's renegotiation of their contract in 2017, and the presidents at that time took an opportunity to squirrel away or carve out some of that money. Talk about that process and then what ultimately you ended up doing with that money. Yeah, so it wasn't every university. We left each university to decide themselves, but, but a group of us, I would say the most, the largest uh athletic programs, we were looking at a big increase in, in dollars coming in because of the Big Ten media contract. And so several of us were sitting around saying, you know, the, we know what's going to happen here. And uh, so our revenue for sports is going up and up and up. And all of us are experiencing flat or difficult times with funding our academic programs. So Collectively, we said, let's take a portion of it to fund things that are difficult. And that so um, that could be student mental health. That could be equity scholarships. That could be, in my case, I supported uh, men mental health um, issues for a period of time while that transitioned to another budget. And I helped support an art museum. And so this is the opportunity. Quite frankly, the art museum wouldn't be there. Hmm. A new art museum would not be there if it wasn't for the fact that the Big Ten media contract um, was allowing us to do something difficult to accomplish in this day and age. Absolutely. And one of the things that I'd like my leaders to, uh, and listeners to understand is the the dynamic of what the Big Ten Network's funds have done for your campuses across the conference and including conference expansion, although I know that that was underway before you arrived at Penn State. What has that that uh, entity done for the conference in general? So if, if I understand your question, I mean, the Big Ten has a, an attitude about sharing resources. So this has really allowed athletic programs across the um, across the Big Ten Conference to be um, highly successful, and and with a strong academic conference and a strong athletic conference. One of the things that I think is really important that not not everyone thinks about immediately is it also allows you to have a lot support, a lot of other sports. So Penn State has 31 sports. There are many schools that have 19, 20, just enough to be um, in the ranking for, uh, for, the, um, for a, a cup at the, end of the, at the end of the season on who has the most successful uh, athletic programs. So this is also an opportunity to make sure that wrestling is there and women's volleyball is there and lacrosse is there and and um, all, all of these other sports. And in my mind, those sports are incredibly important because that's one more way a student can exhibit and improve upon the gifts that they have. And it's a good attractor for, for student enrollment as well. 
Yeah, at Penn State, you have about 40,000 at the University Park campus, is that right? Yeah, a, a little more, and, and a, a total enrollment between the World Campus and our Commonwealth campuses and, and University Park campus of approaching 100,000. 100,000. So do you see a, a, a way that the Division I sports at University Park expand to include those other students, engage those other students, create a brand for those other students to attach themselves to? It absolutely, it absolutely does, and and not just at University Park at the campuses too. Okay. They have baseball teams, basketball teams. They compete among uh, among themselves with and with other uh, campuses, and it helps. Uh, it helps recruit. It helps recruit students. No, there's just absolutely no no two ways about it. The other thing that's so interesting and that a lot of people also don't think about is that. If you're an engaged student, you tend to be more successful. And sports is one way to be engaged. The other thing that's so interesting about that engagement is then they see their undergraduate experience as being transformative. And as a consequence, they give back to their mm -hmm. universities. So those students that were in swimming and track and, and uh, field hockey give back at a very high percentage to the university and they tend to be successful because they've been part of a team effort they they're part of any a, a class of students which I, which are heavily engaged you mentioned about the fact that the big 10 does equal revenue sharing <clears throat> but some conferences don't some conferences yeah. are under some some significant pressure to reallocate their funds to the teams that are doing better one of yeah. them is your former is your former uh, conference in the ACC at Florida State. They are currently advocating right now for a larger piece of the pie, so they can, can continue to elevate programs. How do you view that? I mean, is is that the right thing to do in certain circumstances, or is it really well, better to be the sharing? I I have a preference that what you want is is to be in a conference which is competitive. And for which um, for which there's lots of different opportunity that, that that is there. So I have a preference for that revenue sharing model, mm -hmm. but you know I can I can see advantages to, to to both, but I prefer one over the other. Are we at the point now where it's the uh, Big Ten and the SEC and everybody else is a distant third, fourth, fifth, and if so, what do we do about it? Yeah, so. You know, obviously the Big Ten has been very successful with the media rights um, and and very successful in raising money. And they're in very large marketplaces in, in the U.S. And the expansion picks up additional large uh, market marketplaces. And the SEC is what I would call a a representing part of the country for which the viewership of college athletics is, mm -hmm. is very dense, uh, very high percentages of the population that also leads to, to significant revenues. I, I think we're seeing one more shake, shake up. And, um, but to tell you the truth, it's one of the reasons why I supported a college football playoff. Because if, if you leave out the pack, Pac-12 out of the playoff year after year, it diminishes their brand. It makes it more difficult for them 
because they're not entering that the the premier uh, national uh, stage in, in a competition. So I actually think that having a 12-team playoff format, for example, and having uh, conference leaders be a part of that format will strengthen any conference, in, including, including non-Power 5, because now you consistently have uh, the opportunity to enter that national stage in, in a big way. You know, it's interesting to sit around the table in the college football playoff with Power Five and and, and next the next group of of college conferences at the beginning sitting there thinking they are sitting around the table, but they have no opportunity to to go to that dance. Mm -hmm. And so with this college football, they will. I think it'll I think it'll strengthen strengthen multiple conferences. Yeah, this certainly that's the hope. And it sounds like it's just creating more opportunity to play on a national stage, not unlike what March Madness has done for so many of these conferences. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And they're not, and March Madness is not the only one. Most sports have have a a competition that involves more teams than just picking a couple of winners right. based right. on rankings. Makes sense. Yeah. You talked you talked about this this gap that's still going to exist whether you have a, a 12 team playoff or a 24 team playoff in coaches salaries and in facilities and the money that's being spent in NIL deals. What what are your observations about where we are today and what what this might look like in 3 4 5 years? Yeah. So what what I worry about is that individual presidents say, you know, I've got to put my foot down. This is the way we've got to do this. This is getting, this is getting carried away. And, and, uh, and conferences will sit there and say, no, we, we've, we've, got to, we've got to take the high road. We've got to think about this more carefully. And with no offense attended, intended, because I'm guilty too, the presidents and the conferences quickly fold. Hmm. As soon as somebody else is not doing it, all of a sudden, everybody, your alumni, your board, your students, they're all saying, why aren't we being competitive? Why are we ninth in salaries in our conference? Why are we, why, why did this school come up with this fantastic facility and we don't have those facilities? So that sense of competition is, is, is incredible. And it stops individuals, I think, and conferences from sort of knuckling down and saying, we've, we've got to have a limit here. Um, part of me says, you know, th this is the market. Market forces are telling us how valuable sports are to the nation and therefore what the coaches' salaries are. So part of this is, is it, the difficulty in, in, in terms of the fact that you're being driven by you know, I, I remember at Florida State that I looked and saw that we were, the, by, based on ranking and cost, we were the most efficient university in the country in terms of generating quality with a, very little money. I could not get that into a newspaper. Hmm. A local, local Tallahassee Democrat, yes, but I couldn't get into a newspaper. But if a football player stubbed his toe or broke his toe, it was in every single outlet. 
So part of this is just the reality of what this marketplace is like, which brings me exactly back to this notion that we've got to take this new money that's coming in. And before it takes the same path, we need to commit it to, to students. We, the, it should be an embarrassment to have a university program where the salaries for the coaches exceeds the amount of, for football coaches, exceeds the amount of money you spend on student scholarships and aid. Mm. That should be an embarrassment. Yeah. We just need we just need to collectively do it at the moment which it's the easiest. That's when that billion dollars is coming in the door. So let me ask you this. I, I wrote my dissertation on the launch of the Big Ten Network. I actually uh -huh. looked at the uh, the financials and the discussions that went in in 2005, 2006, 2007, when the when the conference really wasn't sure it was going to it was going to take off. There what didn't have distribution yeah. and that type of thing. But I remember back then, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the presidents felt strongly back then that that at least a third of the money from the network should go to academics. But I think yeah. that fell off the radar. So how do we help this from your idea from not falling off the radar this time? Yeah. Yeah, I really think we all need to come together and say, say, you know, look, you've got all of these court issues. You have lots of conversations about the money that you're spending and how you're spending it. The whole notion of antitrust, you know, a, a Congress, which I view as a, a Hail Mary in some way, suggesting that, you know, maybe this really isn't uh, amateur uh, athletics. We have to take all of these pieces together and all come together, just like with March Madness, uh, to move to move some of the dollars when they had a new contract in, into uh, academic performance mm -hmm. uh, yes. incentives. We just have to take the moment and we all have to band together. I think very few college presidents aren't aware that, that there is a media public perception that college sports is is going in the wrong direction, even though your own alumni are going to tell you to pay that coach whatever you want, whatever you can, because we we've we've got to go to the next level, and this coach yeah. is going to take yeah. us there. It, 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 it drives the conversation for sure, because yep. everybody's just thinking about the next week and the next season and and all of that. Um, yesterday, Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut wrote an op-ed in the USA Today, and one of the things he said was. Rather than waste millions of dollars lobbying Congress for a solution, the NCAA could start by engaging directly with athletes to work out a revenue sharing agreement. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, one way or another, and it 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 may be that that's that's a path, and you know, people talk about whether you're paying athletes um, as a, as another path. One way or another we should be investing more in the students and their success. You, you can't have 575 football coaches in the power five have, making more money than you spend on 30,000 athletes. I, I dislike the idea of, of paying athletes. Um, I think there's an awful lot of questions about what it means to do revenue sharing. Uh, because it, 
in some ways, it's not even playing field. If you have 31 sports at one school and 20 at another, how does that work? So you have the potential to have a lot of pitfalls there. I prefer to come together and say, it is time to look at, at equity and it's time to, to look at student mental health and it's time to look at what those scholarship dollars are like and to advance it for more students. I prefer that, that method. But I think the notion is the same in all three of those models. And that is that some portion of those dollars needs to support students in one way or another. And it's interesting, Senator Murphy said, <clears throat> excuse me, the same thing. He said, let's improve safety standards. <clears throat> let's get better health protections. Let's get more academic opportunities. So it sounds like you're on the same page, but how do we get there? Yeah, so I, I do think there's multiple ways to do that, but I, I, um, I just, I, well, okay, the, the bottom line is all those presidents, same ones that are in the college football playoff, the same ones that are the NCAA, the same ones that are the conference leaders have to collectively say, here's this new money and we're going to do something with it to support uh, student athletes. Right. <clears throat> the model of what you do is could be different, but I, I have a preference, but um, the simple fact of the matter is they all have to do it collectively before we start spending the money. It makes sense. And uh, one of the things that I, you hear about periodically is that athletes are going to assemble together, organize their rights. In fact, that happened uh, last summer at Penn State. There was an outside person who came in to try to organize the football team around advocating for their, their rights. How do we, how do you manage that as a president when that kind of tension arises on campus? Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting because that, that, that particular case was sort of within athletics in terms of what the discussions were. So there, there wasn't the same, um, there, there wasn't the same level of, I need to make a decision on, on this. Mm -hmm. But I do think we have another overall perspective for which um, these new dollars could all make, also make a difference. We need to spend dollars to educate the athletes on what some of these decisions mean. What, what NIL means, what, what, what provides some sort of aid to them to understand what, what the contractual agreements that, that they're doing, what it means to have a salary that is taxable versus scholarships, which are not taxable. What do all of these factors mean? And so I think we're also coming to the point where this is becoming a very complicated world for a student athlete. And we're not spending any of those dollars on facilities or coaches' salaries on making sure that we're teaching student athletes how to function in this brave new world. So I have heard of student athletes for NIL to, to see a $50,000 contract. I think that's an enormous amount of money. How will I ever achieve that? And signing away rights for years. Right, right. And so. So it, it, we, this, part of this brave new world is where's our commitment to educate students um, and provide, 
provide them the information to understand what the implications of of being unionized or not being unionized. What what's, what are the implications of that? So actually having those discussions could be really beneficial. Absolutely. I think that makes sense because higher education is in the business of educating. So why not lay all the options on the table? Absolutely, absolutely. So one of the things that I thought was interesting was you were very focused on innovation in many aspects at Penn State. How would you innovate this situation? If you were, if you could be czar for a day or a week or a month, how would you innovate this? Yeah. So, you know, I I know this, maybe this sounds trite. And so I'm I'm going to just des describe learning to drive in Atlanta. And in Atlanta, all the cars are parked where I lived along the side of the street. And my father was sitting next to me. How he didn't panic, I don't know. As I swerved down the street, nearly hitting parked cars all along the way. And he said, he said, you know, Eric, if you lift your head, he said, hood ornament, but that dates me. He said, <laughs> if you lift your head above the hood of the car and look down the road, it's a lot easier to get where you want to go. Hmm. And of course, this is true. And I, I think it was a philosophy lesson. I think it was a lesson on how to, to run a university. So I think part of this, and one of the reasons why the Knight Commission's efforts to entrain CLA to look at data and how, and how money might be spent is this, this is your, this is your opportunity to look down the road and imagine what it would be like if all of these salaries, all of these dollars went into salaries and facilities and only a little bit went into students, right. I think we would have a colossal mess on our hands. The second part of it then is, is to, to create a vision for what, what to do. I think for Penn State, we, we created an economic development effort called Invent Penn State. And part of this was laying out a set of a, a agenda and imagining what this might mean in terms of uh, the success of, of, of um, those programs. And then getting people, people ran with it. People ran with it because they liked what that vision was. Mm -hmm. So I really think this, this first step is projecting what the future, I think it just implies more court cases, more more controversy between schools and, and athletes if the if the money becomes even more imbalanced, unbalanced as it is today, and laying out how it is that you would do it. I mean, I I literally would like to see part of the the almost accreditation of an athletic program to be the degree to which you support college athletes. Hmm. Interesting. And and I think that if you if you miss certain standards, then you know maybe you shouldn't get as much money. I think part of it should be what sports you, how many sports you uh, mm -hmm. support with those dollars. And if you want to support a lot fewer, um, maybe you don't get quite so much money. So <laughs> anyway, so imagine the future, and then we need to create a vision and get everybody on the same page. That's, I'm going to have that, that vision of you driving down that Atlanta street now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, before we, we end our conversation, I, I do like to ask uh, presidents that I, that I get fortunate enough to have conversations with about what, what they'd wish they'd known when they moved into the presidency the first time. And you were a dean uh, at Penn State, and then you went to Florida State and became president, and then you came back to Penn State. So you were in two different conferences in two different regions of the country. How did you prepare yourself for this? Yeah, I... I think actually being a dean is a pretty good training for, for a lot of us. This is the point at which you have to develop a vision for your college and you tend to have your own budget. And so those are and and so you're and you're fully involved in all aspects of of faculty and, and student life. So I don't know whether I thought about prepared. I had many people tell me that no matter what you think the role of college sports is, and you will be surprised uh, by the degree to which it takes, takes time and effort. And you'll be surprised by the degree to which media focus on those, those, um, those activities. So, you know, a lot of warning from former colleagues on how all of these things um, fold out. Um, to tell you the truth, in some ways, I wish I knew how much fun fundraising is. <laughs> because these are people with affinity, capability, yeah. and, you know, presidents are, you, you don't like to think of it if you're an academic, but you're a salesperson. Yeah, You're pitching your university, you're pitching ideas, you're pitching the programs that your faculty are interested in. And if you believe in what you're pitching and you have somebody in front of you that cares and has capacity, this, this is a wonderful part of being a president. Now, I suppose that wasn't what you thought I was going to say, but I wish I'd had a little bit more training and, and focus on that because it, it's actually a wonderful part of the job. You know, you have to love it because you're right. You're in front of people all the time. And you may have an opportunity that presents itself that you just weren't prepared for. So if you don't love it, you won't really engage that person at that moment in time. It's true. That's really great. Well, Eric, thank you so much for taking time. Thank you for writing this op-ed. I thought it was informative and it gave some, some real teeth to what kinds of changes might be possible with this new revenue. And uh, thank you for all you've given to higher education. It's, it's really been quite an impactful career. Thanks. I appreciate it. And I Thanks. hope you have a great day. Thanks. Okay.